Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios. Chico Life Radio 104.5 FM and AM 930 is good to be with you. Another evening, another uh, weeknight, reflecting into the richness of our faith. It is Friday evening, Friday night, so we have the opportunity to get into the gospel that we will be hearing from on Sunday. And once again, I have uh, Debbie Rizal's parishioner of St. John the Baptist Catholic Church with me. So Debbie, it's good to have you with me again tonight. Thank you for having me, Joe. Debbie, the fifth Sunday of Lent. So this brings us to uh, the great story, the very dramatic story of Lazarus. You know, we've been reflecting upon these gospel accounts, these gospel encounters that have us really asking us new questions about our own journey of faith. Yes. You know, that, that really is what lies at the heart of it. You know, we had in the first week the temptation narrative. Mm-hmm. So this, this battleground between Christ and Satan, and ultimately the lesson to be had is when we purify ourselves, there is nothing we cannot do. There's nothing that we cannot overcome. Uh, The second Sunday, we had the transfiguration, this wonderful mountaintop experience that Peter, James, and John had. Uh, The third Sunday, we had the reading of the Samaritan woman at the well, where another beautiful encounter, we can never overstate that word. Last week, the fourth Sunday of Lent, we had uh, the blind man. Another very long narrative. I mean, (laughs) this Lenten season, every Lenten season, we get these long narratives. Well, today, tonight, we will talk about another long narrative, and that, of course, is the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Uh, A miracle that is unique to itself. As we've been talking about these other miracles and, and, and how they've led to a new worship Um, This is different, this kind of life. And of course, this is going to be the focus of our program. So with that, what I thought we could do, Debbie, is just jump right in. Now, because it is a long narrative, we're going to be reading an abridged version. So if we were to go back to the gospel to read something that maybe you didn't read, we'll be certain to to highlight uh, and read that verse. But given what we've already talked about beforehand and where I think we're going, I I think we're going to be good with the abridged version. I'm reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 11. The sisters of Lazarus sent word to Jesus, saying, Master, the one you love is ill. When Jesus heard this, he said, This illness is not to end in death, but is for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was ill, he remained two days in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Martha heard that Jesus was coming and she went to meet him, but Mary sat at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, 
my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise. Martha said to him, I know he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even if he dies, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I have come to believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, the one who is coming into the world. When Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her weeping, he became perturbed and deeply troubled and said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Sir, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not the one who opened the eyes of the blind man have done something so that this man would not have died? So Jesus, perturbed again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay across it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the dead man's sister, said to him, Lord, by now there will be a stench. He has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you for hearing me. I know that you always hear me. But because of the crowd here, I have said this, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, tied hand and foot with burial bands, and his face was wrapped in a cloth. So Jesus said to them, Untie him and let him go. Now many of the Jews who had come to Mary and seen what he had done began to believe in him. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Deb. Mm -hmm. So by way of context, it is the sixth of his seven signs. And I note that because ultimately it is the sign and one of the major events that leads to uh, him being captured, tried, and ultimately crucified. And he wants us to see the very rich irony of the Christian faith. Where there is death, there is life. And ultimately, this highlights the ancient law of sacrifice, death equaling life. You know, Debbie, one of the things that lies at the heart of this, of this narrative is that Christ was delayed. You know, he was delayed for several days after his death. This was not a miscalculation, but certainly a plan to generate faith, you know, in his disciples. If you were to go back to last week now, what happened? Christ took someone who needed to be healed and he cured him, right? And what did it lead to? Great faith. And certainly for the blind man, uh, a wonderful and beautiful response. He was worshiping God, yeah. you know, just like the Samaritan, worshiping God after this wonderful encounter. Well, you know, in light of 
last week, you'd think that Jesus would, quote-unquote, be on time, right? (laughs) (laughs) And yet, he wasn't. Why was our Lord not there? Well, yes, to generate faith in the disciples. And for us, as readers of this text, to take a step back and ask ourselves the question, how often do we use that uh, phrase? If only, Lord, you were here, or if only, Lord, I knew you three weeks ago when I had to deal with whatever I had to deal with, right? So we, we offer up that kind of challenge. What's missing in that? Trust. Yes. Trust. Trust. Absolutely. You know, uh, you know, Debbie, what was going on with the disciples in those two days? I think it's important. He was giving them lessons along the way about light, you know, lessons that might be incomprehensible mm-hmm. minus what he's about to do. So he's given his disciples these lessons and maybe they're lacking faith. And then this great encounter, it was all leading up to this point to a degree as it relates to the sequence of these miracles and what he's been doing. And of course, we then have the miracle to generate faith. It's to remember that trust is the most concrete act and virtue of faith. The first aspect of faith is, well, that is first a gift from God. And the second is that it is an act. And what is the concrete act? It's trust, to give ourselves to God, to trust God, to abandon ourselves to God. I believe in my heart of hearts, God, you know what you're doing in this moment. It doesn't make sense to me right now. In fact, it's incomprehensible to me right now what you are doing. Yet, he says, give me your faith. What always precedes the healing in the Gospels? Faith. Faith. Your faith has saved you. Yes. You know, and we know he never intended this to be a cure of a of a sick man. That was never his intent. And we have this line that says, this illness, in in verse 4, is not to end in death, but is for the glory of God. If they just grabbed hold of that line and said, do we believe what he says? And, And that's for each one of us. Do we believe what he tells us? Do we believe these promises he gives us in Scripture? They're all around us. Yeah. We believe that. This is for the glory of God. And you see maybe fear because, you know, he, he had just escaped being stoned by the Sanhedrin for curing the blind man on the Sabbath. Yes, so yes. they had, you know, they had just had this near-death experience. And Jesus is kind of rallying the troops. You know, fear is starting to kind of grip them. And you see that in these little one-liners where they're like saying, um, I love it, Thomas in 14 says, so we're just going to go and die with him? Yeah. Wow, Thomas, really? You're going to go there? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, but, But that shows where the disciples were. They weren't ready to go and be slaughtered in Judea yet. Yep. They weren't ready for it. And, you know, it really highlights the essence of the mission of Christianity. Mm. You know, it's the Romans 8, 15 passage that you did not receive the spirit of fear where you fall back into slavery, but the spirit of sonship in which you cry, Abba, Father. From sick to health, yeah, that's cool, but oh. new life isn't just about physical well-being. It's about spiritual well-being. And so we have 
Christ saying? Unbind him and let him go. You know, what is the end game? One of the things that comes out of this whole narrative is that great battle cry, you know, motus operandi. Why do you do what you do? What operates your motives? You know, and when we say, if only, what are we saying? You use the word fear. We are saying that we don't believe that God can overcome this. Absolutely. But there's a deeper message here too, and that's the new life in the Spirit. Um, And we have to be able to uh, grab hold of that. And we have to believe that Jesus loves us. That line in in verse 5 when he says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus and us. That's representative of all of humanity. We either believe he loves us with a perfect love, I might add. Yes. There's no shadow in it. Yes. A perfect love. He either wants the best for us and loves us, or he doesn't. Or he's a liar. And and our Lord's not a liar. So if he does everything for our good out of love for us, what is there not to trust? What is there to doubt? And it's to pray, you know, I say, and that the church teaches that faith is first a gift. It's to pray for an increase in faith. Absolutely. I mean, faith does lie at the heart of this. I mean, Jesus says to Martha, I am the resurrection and life. Whoever believes in me, even if he dies, he will live. Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Absolutely. (laughs) And what does Martha say? That's the question. Yes, Lord. Mm -hmm. Do you believe this? Do you believe that I'm the giver of life? Do you believe that I'm the giver of all good things? Do you believe that I even might give you something that you totally don't understand? Mm -hmm. That is, again, incomprehensible to you. So that it might draw you closer to me. Do you? This thing right now that makes no sense to me. You know, we were talking earlier, Debbie, Mm -hmm. and you were making the point. It's incredible about the the absence of faith in this gospel narrative. And it really challenges us. Uh It ought to ground us and remind us of our own weakness. And have us, at the same time, going on bended knee and praying for that grace, for that gift of faith, and for that increase in that gift of faith. So that we say with Martha, yes, Lord, I believe. Right, because without that... Nothing else will make sense. Nothing else will fit. Nothing else will work Yes. without faith. That, oh, that gift, that wonderful, beautiful gift of life. He's saying, you want these uh, little healings. I want to give you life, eternal, everlasting. That's what I'm offering you. Mm-hmm. And, and if we could just get that in miracles, then everyone in this story would have been instantly converted. The little hearts would have been melted that didn't happen. That didn't happen. This spectacular miracle. Not only was he just dead for a couple of hours, he was dead for four days. Long beyond. Yes, yes. And it's interesting as you talk about that, Debbie, There's. I want to go to verse 34 here, mm-hmm. specifically to these words, because they're very powerful. Verse 33, excuse me. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved and spirit and troubled. Now, the Greek rendering of that is he's angry. Mm -hmm. 
You know, deeply moved in spirit. The best translation is he snorted in spirit. The image of the bull is a very real image there. Right. You know, snorting. Yeah. He's going to charge. Yeah. He's angry. What is he angry at? I think it gets to what you were just saying, Debbie, because mm-hmm. if you were to go back to John 2, the end of John chapter 2, I think we know what he's a little angry at. Mm-hmm. The end of John chapter 2 says, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not trust himself to them. He knew their hearts. Mm -hmm. Because he knew all men and needed no one to bear witness of man, for he himself knew what was in man. And then we have Nicodemus. Commentaries speak to this, you know, how Nicodemus would have been there. And so here we we have Nicodemus. He was one of those Jews. We know where Nicodemus ends up there at the end of the story. But in John chapter 3, in the beginning of chapter 3, he's doubting. He's mm-hmm. challenging. Sure. So if you were to fast forward to John chapter 11, what do you have going on here? The Jews are there. They're weeping with him. But no, 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 no. You're weeping now, but you're about to crucify me? Yes. Just a few Ooh. days later. Yeah. <laughs> How dare you? Yes. So we have this kind of... Um, Oh, what we can say, it's it, this, this provoking going on in John's gospel where he wants us to go deeper mm-hmm. and, and have us asking this question, where do we present a kind of a pseudo sense of the faith? You know, are we being real? Again, it goes back to the motus operandi. You know, why do you do what you do? Are you really faithful to me? Right. Do you really trust me? Now, is it real? Is it real? Yes. He, he's angry here. Mm-hmm. He's, you know, the, the other word that I think you have in your translation is perturbed. Yes. He knows all men. He knows the hearts of man. And so that's very important as we talk about this, again, in the context of faith, Debbie, because he's, he's looking at this and he's like, boy, there's a lack of faith. Mm, all around him. Yep. It, I, I was struck, as I said earlier, that it was from all sides. The disciples, you know, great, so we're going to go back to Judea where they just were trying to stone us. Great, so let's just go there and die. And then you get, what if? If you had been here. If you had been here. It just seems, I thought, no wonder he wept. No wonder he wept. He's thinking, everyone closest to me and isn't that how often it is? The ones closest to us doubt. Yes. Yeah, and that verse, you know, the shortest verse we have in Scripture, of course, pretty well known, verse 35 there, Jesus wept. It's certainly not t- tears of despair. And it's not to be reduced to just, say, human tears of, of sympathy. Uh, there's a deeper, a deeper thing going on. Certainly it's part of that, that our Lord, and it's a great mystery, experienced the full range of human emotions. Mm -hmm. We also, of course, see this in the garden and on the cross. But it's just not the the, the tears of of love and sympathy. It's it's the fullness of the beatitude. And I think that's what's at the heart of what you're saying there, Debbie. You know, he's grieving man's earthly plight around him. Mm -hmm. Blessed are those who mourn because... Man needs to be in solidarity with brother and sister in Christ, but it's just not that. When we are deeply rooted in Jesus Christ, we see the sin all around us. We see the absence of faith, and we grieve that. We mourn that. Yes. 
And we have to. It's our solidarity with Christ in God. And then it at once challenges us. Remembering the word challenge, provocatio, to call forth, to call out. It calls us out to serve man, to reach out to man. You know, Pope Benedict gave us the great quote, the church exists for evangelization. We first are mindful that God is always evangelizing our heart, and then when he does, we are then disposed to serve the body of Christ. And we are better stewards of that, Debbie, when we are acutely aware of what is around us. Christ is deeply troubled. Yes, he really is. He's deeply troubled, and he's weeping. He's weeping because he lost his beloved friend, Mm -hmm. you know, his beloved friend, but also the absence of faith around him. Yes, This is the fullness of the beatitude. And I want to highlight that, Debbie, because I think sometimes we shortchange those beatitudes. Um, And when we are grieving man's earthly plight, always, always looking at the mere first, it draws out a deeper compassion. Yes. You know, what does compassion mean? Compassio, to suffer with. It's no wonder that, you know, uh, that beatitude, blessed are those who are merciful. To be merciful, it must be rooted in this grief. And you know, you hear all throughout Scripture about the Lord referring to folks as hard-hearted. Yes. You know, the ones that won't turn. And it's this compassion that you're talking about that that needs our heart and makes it pliable. When we let people in, in their and we enter into their suffering. We let them into ours, and we go into theirs, and we're not afraid to do that. That beautiful softening that just naturally occurs through Jesus Christ when we enter in. Yeah. And, and in that, he, he wants us to see, as his children, Debbie, that he is in the midst Absolutely. of our tragedies. Yes, every single one. And it's, it's hard. This is one of the most difficult Christian truths. Well, where was God in that moment? Well, where, yes. where was God in this moment? Well, A, we always have to remember that the most horrific human possible death he endured. Yes. You know, so we're always in solidarity. He's always Diocide. in solidarity. Yes, he's always in solidarity with us there. And at the same time with that, he reminds us that he is in the midst of our tragedy. And... This is why, this is why, Debbie, I think sometimes God sticks out his foot and we fall. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes <laughs> we need to be made more vulnerable, mea culpa, to see God better. Oh, you know, yes. and, and, and I, I highlight that because I get a lot of those kinds of questions, and I know you do, Debbie. Mm-hmm. You know, well, where was God in this moment, or where was God right. in that moment? Right. Um, Christ reveals to us that his Father and the life of the Trinity stands in deep, deep solidarity with us. And in fact, that is when he is closest to us. And certainly, if we are disposed to see it. Now, we think about tragedies in American history. And I'll tell you what, Debbie, America is never better when we come together in light of human tragedy. Absolutely. We have never been on better moral ground on those days soon after the tragedies we are so familiar with. And of course, maybe the most recent, and there's so many, um, 911. Mm-hmm. You know, but there's so many things that were happening after that that we 
or the best version right. of Beautiful. ourselves in Beautiful. those moments yes. because of all of the tragedy that was surrounding us. Um, and it's, it's mindful or it's important to be mindful of that lest we lose sight of, of that great question. He wants us to see. He weeps because he wants us to see that he is in solidarity with us when we are weeping. But again, it's just not that. It's also this element of grieving man's earthly plight. He, he's fully human, fully divine. And in his humanity, Debbie, he teaches us how to be better human beings and how he carries about he's his days. He's our example. Yep. He is our perfect example yep. to attain to. Blessed John Paul II, in a fancy phrase, Christian humanism, what he was what do we talk about in that is essentially how Christ shows us how to be better Christians in our humanity. And how do we do that? To accept everything that comes our way. And in that acceptance, we might begin to better understand what it means to draw closer to him. And I highlight the word acceptance here because that is when we say, or that is when we stop saying, if only, Lord. Yes. If we accept everything that God gives us, we don't say if only. No. You know. If we understand, I love you, Debbie. I love you, Joe. I want the best for you. If that penetrates our heart and we take that and he says, what I promise I will do, Ezekiel 37, 14, what I promise I will do, yeah. I love you. Everything is for your good and for your eternal soul. And this is his mercy. Even when you go into the Old Testament, you know, there, there's two different words for mercy, the hased and the rahamim. One of the things that comes out of this, this uh, kind of twofold vision of mercy is God's faithfulness. God is going to follow through on his promise. Yes, absolutely. And that following through is his mercy. It may make no sense to us, but we need to pray for that gift of faith so that we might increase in trust so that we accept everything that he gives us, knowing that there will be a day when we look back and say, wow, look what God was doing then. Yes. Oh, if we can only do that. <laughs> and faith always precedes understanding. Yes. It's not the opposite. Yes. Uh, we humans want to, well, if I understood it, yeah. then I would blah, 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 blah. And he's saying, no, no, no. The gift of faith precedes understanding. That's what trust is. It is not see and come. It is come and see. Yeah. You know, it is, it is faith and reason. Um, so with that, we are out of time, Debbie. And as always, it, it was a, a great opportunity to, to reflect upon this passage. And just by way of closing thought, I want to really highlight that word encounter. That during this Lenten season, we give things up and we do things for our brothers and sisters in Christ that we might go deeper in a relationship with Jesus Christ, that that encounter might be more tangible, be more real, and that we would indeed increase in our faith and our trust and our abandonment to God. Let's close by the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you.
You've been listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening from 6.30 to 7 p.m. right here on KKXX. If you have questions or feedback, you may email Joe at j-h-o-l-l-j-m-j at yahoo.com. For a copy of today's program, visit joeholcraft.org or call KKXX during regular business hours at 894-7325. Thanks for listening to the Seeds of Truth on KKXX.